awesome. Okay, before we start, I'm going to ask if y'all could um, bow your heads and pray with me. (sighs) Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are just astounding and amazing and just incredible. And we just thank you for the incredible privilege of allowing us to be here to worship your name, to just praise you and to listen to what you have to say to us today. Uh, Thank you for just being so good and so loving to us, even if we don't deserve it. And at this moment, I ask you, God, that you may open the minds and the hearts of each and every one of your people here, that your spirit may fill us and that we may listen to what you have to say to us and that we may take it to heart, that we may meditate on it and apply it to our lives, God. And we, I also ask you, spirit, that you may manifest in me so that the words that I say, they may be your words, that you may use me and I am your instrument and that it may all be for your honor and for your glory alone. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, every so often, we come across these win-win situations in life. Doesn't happen all the time, but when they do, they're pretty sweet. For example, for those of you who have to register for classes or who are in high school, and you get to decide between these two classes, the last one, you get to decide between um, both of them, and you can choose one. One of them, the teacher is a really great teacher, and they teach the subject very well. They make it fun, and they make it interesting. And so... That has that going for it. But in the other class, your best friend is in the class, so you know it's going to be fun. And not only that, but there's this very pretty girl or there's this super cute guy that you've been really wanting to get to meet. I know many can relate, right? They both have something going for it. They're win-win situations. For those married couples out there, Your husband promised a three-day weekend getaway, just the two of you alone, and so you're so excited for it. If it's sunny, you get to go out to the lake, enjoy the water, enjoy just the sunlight, or you get to do something outside, right? But if it's cloudy, stormy, you can stay in, cuddle up, watch a movie, and either one, it's a win-win situation because it's just the two of you alone for three days. Well, or maybe, you know, you're not married yet, and so you have a boyfriend or you have a girlfriend. They finally have a day off of work during the week. And so you know you guys are going to do something super fun. Just the two of you go out to an orchard, if there's any around here, go somewhere to camp or go to the lake, but it's just going to be the two of you together. But if you can't do that, if they can't get the day off work, well... For those girls, you know that you guys have been planning a girls' day out where you're going to do some serious shopping because there's some super sweet sales going on. So either one, it's a win-win situation. Or you know those grandparents in their room. Your kids are calling you up, and they're like, hey, um, we're trying to figure out whether we're going to go over there to see you for the holidays, all of the family, be together. Or either we can fly you out to where we're at, and then we can still be with the holidays together, just the family. One of them has less travel and less trouble, but the other one is a little more adventure for you to get out of the little small town. Either one, it's a win-win situation. And you know, the Apostle Paul, he came across a win-win situation too. Except his win-win situation might have been a little different. And he explains it to the church of Philippi in his letters to the book of Philippians. And he says, hey guys, check it out. When In a few months from now, when I'm going to be with Caesar face-to-face in this trial, 
I'm going to have to, I'm going to have two decisions or not my decision, but Caesar's decision, but there's going to be two things in front of me. Either Caesar is going to let me live or he's going to kill me. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) That does not sound like a win-win situation. Paul, what are you talking about? That, that is not a, not even in my life. Like I had, I know one, the one I want at the top of my list and I know the one I want at the bottom of the barrel. Paul's response would probably sound something like, well, the reason it's such a win-win situation is because I'm going to get a reward. I'm going to get God's final stamp of approval. I'm going to get heaven's praise after I'm done with what I'm going to do at this trial in front of Caesar. Okay, Paul, so now some questions arise. What is it that Paul's going to do in this trial that he's expecting some kind of approval, some kind of reward from God. And not only that, how is it that Paul thinks that whatever Caesar's decision is, it's a win-win situation? How does Paul see that? How is it a win-win situation? And then there's the other question. How in the world did Paul get to the point where that is a win-win situation? How did he get to the point where he could say to live is Christ and to die is gain? And then for us, how do we get to that point? How can we get to that point? Well, Paul answers all of these questions in the letter that he writes to the Philippian church, Church of Philippi. And we'll be reading from chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up with me. If you don't have your Bible, shame on you. What kind of Christian are you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we ha- we'll have the, the, the scripture up on the screen so you can read along. Okay, 18 and 19. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. First big deal. Paul is rejoicing about a future reward that he will soon get. He says this will turn out for my deliverance. But what does he mean when he says this will turn out? What is this that he's talking about? Well, In order to know, we kind of have to get a little background check on Paul, see what Paul's been up to, right? So, for the past two and a half years, Paul has been under house arrest. Sounds fun, right? It's a lot better than a dungeon, that's for sure. But the only thing about it is that being under house arrest, he's chained to a guard 24-7. And not only that, but the guards, they're they're intervals. So every six hours, the guard is changed, and they're personal bodyguards of Caesar's. Aside from that, since he's under house arrest, he needs to pay for rent. Sounds pretty fair, right? He's got to pay for rent. And in order to pay for rent, he needs money. But how can he get money if he's chained to a guard? He can't really work. So this church of Philippi, it was the first, it's, it was the, in his second missionary journey, this is a church he planted. It's one of the very first churches he planted. So he has a real big heart for the church of Philippi. So they have a big heart for Paul too. And with this guy that they sent in as a messenger, his name's very difficult to pronounce, so I'm not going to try. He gets, he gives them, this church, like, just gathers up a bunch of money, very generous gift, and they give it to Paul 
so that he could have food, so that he could pay for the rent, and all this good stuff. So in this letter, he's writing to them to thank them. But not only to thank them, but also, also let them know about what's going on in the gospel, what's going on with his life, what's going on with the lives of other people around him. First thing, Paul, the gospel is still advancing. It doesn't matter that he's being chained or that he's under house arrest, but he's still proclaiming Christ. How is that? Well, because the guards are being chained to him 24-7, he's preaching to them. They don't really have a choice to get away. They have to stay there. So he takes advantage of that. And a lot of the bodyguards, most of the bodyguards that Paul had, they all become believers in Christ. How amazing is that? Apart from that, the pastors in Rome, they're beginning to get more bolder in preaching the gospel. This is a time of persecution for Christians. And so them to be more bold is something very important. And Paul is rejoicing in that. And then there's a third thing. He's not just thankful about the gift that he gave them that they gave him. He's not just happy about how the gospel is going, but he's also happy about how things are turning out for himself. And that is where we get into this. His reward that he's going to get his future reward. And so while the gospel is advancing, he also knows that his that God's final stamp of approval is building up for the day when he receives it. And so that is what he means in verses 18 through 19. That is what he's talking about. Because everything he's going through will turn out for his deliverance. Deliverance. It's a pretty cool word, but what does it really mean? Well, the Greek word for deliverance also means salvation. So they go hand in hand together. And the Bible uses this word a whole lot. He's saying that even though he's going through these circumstances, even though all these bad things are happening to him, it's leading to the great day in heaven. That is what this is all leading to. And Paul is confident about it. He is hoping for it. And he is hoping for the day where his salvation will be complete, where he will receive God's final stamp of approval, and he will receive heaven's praise for what he's about to do. He's talking about a future salvation. A future salvation? I thought there was only one salvation. You know, when I accepted Jesus in my heart. Well, the Bible talks about three different salvations. There is a past salvation, there is a present salvation, and then there's a future salvation. The past salvation is when we accept Jesus in our hearts, We've been delivered from the past, from our past, from our sins. Present salvation is when we've, we are being saved. Salvation never ends. Every day we're being saved. Every day we're being protected by God from the temptations that Satan throws at us. Every day we're being delivered from our past. And then there's the future salvation that Paul is talking about. This future salvation is a big, huge deal because he is referring to the day when we come face to face with Christ. That is the future salvation that Paul is hoping for. That is the one that he is expecting. Future salvation. The day he gets to be face face to face with the God that he loves. And so when he says, this will turn out for my deliverance, he's actually saying that this will contribute to my reward when I get to heaven. And whatever he's about to do, he will be rewarded. And whatever Caesar decides, whether to let him live or whether to kill him, 
it's going to be a win-win situation. It still doesn't answer our question. What is it that he's going to do that will give him this reward? What is Paul seeing in the next few months of his life that he believes that he will get this reward from Christ to be in, being in heaven? Well, verse 23 says, sorry, 20. Verse 20 says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is going to exalt Christ in front of the whole Roman Empire. And at that time, that was basically the whole world. He is eagerly expecting to do it. And not only is he eagerly expecting to do it, he also says that he's going to pass with flying colors, that he's absolutely going to knock it off, and he's going to do super great, and he is certain about it. He is confident about this. And him being confident, it also means that he is saying, I'm not going to wimp out. I'm not going to chicken out. I'm not going to be ashamed about this. Not now, not ever. He is eagerly expecting to magnify the Christ that he serves. And he's going to do it how? In my body. That's what he says. In my body, I am going to exalt Christ, whether by life or by death. And how is he going to do that with his body? What is he going to do? Transform into Jesus? No. But one thing we have to keep in mind, Jesus, I mean, sorry, Paul, he does not have this two by three little picture of Jesus in his wallet. And when someone asks to see it, he takes it out to show it to everyone. That's not what Paul has. What Paul has is this life-sized, enlarged, cardboard cutout picture of Jesus. And it's so big that you can hardly see Paul behind it. Why is that? Because Paul's whole life is Christ. That is who Paul serves. That is who Paul reflects. And why is that? Because Christ died for him. Christ chose him. Christ rescued him from the past that he once lived in. Christ has chosen and called him to this eternal future that Paul so eagerly expects. Christ is Paul's perfect role model. His life. His passion. And his Lord. That is who Christ is to Paul. And soon, he'll get the chance to magnify this Christ, this incredible Savior that he has, to the whole world. He gets to show him off. That is what Paul's going to do. Because he knows that if Caesar lets him live, well, he's going to get to serve Christ longer, the Christ that he loves. If Paul, I mean, if, sorry, if Caesar kills Paul, Paul's going to get to be with the Christ he loves. It's a win-win situation for him. Verse 20 to 21 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I would not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here comes the super famous quote we all know. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is tied 
between these very, very big decisions. And it's such a win-win situation that he doesn't know which one to choose from. That's how good of a situation he thinks he's in, he believes he's in, he knows he's in. It's a win-win. And you see, when I first see this, I'm like, okay, Paul is crazy. Like, I don't know how this is a win-win. I want to I wanna live. Like, I wouldn't want to be killed. That's my first thought. And I think it's really funny because when I'm indecisive, it's over other stuff. For example, my biggest thing on being indecisive is whether to go to this super good burger restaurant or a Mexican restaurant. That is when I'm tied between two things. Should I get the really nice bacon cheeseburger, juicy with sesame seed buns, or should I go to a Mexican restaurant and get a nice dish of arroz con camarones, which is shrimp and rice, but I know you guys didn't need me to translate that. That is when I'm tied between two things. Man, this nice burger calling out to me or the shrimp and rice that just looks so delicious. That is when I'm indecisive. Paul, to live or to die? <laughs> I mean, I don't know where the indecisiveness comes in, Paul. Like, come on, you want to live. You want to be serving Christ. You want to live longer to talk to other people about Jesus, right? And he says, uh, no. <laughs> he actually has a preference, but his preference is to die. Paul wants to die. Why on earth does he want to do that? Plain and simple to be with Christ, to be with the Christ he's been talking to other people about, to be with the Christ he loves. How does that get any better? It doesn't. To be in heaven where there is no trouble, no problems, that all you got to do is focus on the God that we love and just love him till death and then get to be with him. It doesn't get better than that. But then there's another question. And Paul knew about this little question. What fulfills God's purpose more? Is it for him to live or for him to die? And he answers it. And he says, well, I mean, I think pretty sure God wants me to stay here. So I guess I can stay a little longer and talk to you guys about Jesus more. He understands that the church needed its leaders. The church still does need leaders. But Paul was just, he was such a big leader in the church, God wasn't done with him yet. And Paul doesn't die for a few years later, but Paul, God was not done with Paul. And so he knew that the church needed Paul there so that he could be with them as they progressed in their faith, as they progressed in their joy. So it was important for him to stay, to be with them longer. So he comes to this confident conclusion. He is convinced that Caesar will let him live and he will be able to go to the church of Philippi again and be with them. He's convinced of it. And so we see these two views here. We see these two views that Paul's in between, to live or to die. And he wants to, he wants to die and be with Christ, but he also wants to live because he knows that that's what God wants him to do at the moment. So we understand that, but we still have another unanswered question, or two actually. How in the world 
did Paul get to the point he was at being happy to die and be with Christ as he was happy to be here on earth and continue to serve him? How did he get to that point? How did he get to the point where he said, you know what, to live is Christ and to die, even better, it's Christ, it's gain. How did he get there? Well, we're not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. And sometimes I think we probably come to the point where we're close to getting there, you know? We get, we're close to the little point, but we're still not there yet. When I was um, in eighth grade going into my freshman year that summer, my little graduation gift from passing eighth grade was that my mom finally let me go to Mississippi with my cousin and her aunt because they lived there. So we went over, we drove over there, we got there. And one time during the summer, we decided to go to the mall. We've done it a few other times before. It was nothing different. But we were in DeSoto, Mississippi. So if any of you guys know where it's that side, it's right at the corner, North Mississippi. And so you could just go right over to Tennessee. And so we would go to Memphis, Tennessee to the mall because DeSoto like had nothing there to be, to do. So we went over there. And it was a nice, it was, it had just finished raining. It was a pretty nice day. And we get to the stop sign. She pulls out her phone. She starts typing in the directions to wherever we were going to go. And so she says, hey, Giselle, be lookout. So I said, all right, I got this. So I was just looking both sides constantly, making sure no cars were around. And she says, okay, I'm done. I was like, okay. And I was like, there's no car anywhere. And I turned to the left, and we see this car kind of going uphill, but it's like way far out in the distance. So she had time to turn to the left. So she goes for it. She starts turning to the left. But the roads in Mississippi there, they kind of go upward slanted a little bit. And since they had just finished raining, the roads were pretty slick. And what we didn't know at the moment about the Explorer that we were in, the tire's tractions were gone. There was no traction in the tires. So the moment she turned to the left, she got onto her lane, but left kept coming. It didn't stop. So she kept going, and she ended up losing control of the, of the wheels. She couldn't get control of the car again. And so we kept turning around, and we ended up going towards into the other lane. And that car that was far, that expedition that was far out in the distance ended up right next to me in a, few, in a matter of seconds. And it hit my side of the car, and it dented it in, but I had enough time, like instinct, I guess, to just turn over to the side and get closer to my cousin since I saw it coming. And so we turn, we flip, we turn around a few more times, and then she finally hits the brakes before we hit, we go ahead into the ditch. The first thing that I thought of, that I said, when we stopped, and when I realized we were both alive, I said, oh, thank you, God. I was happy to be alive. I wasn't where Paul was at. Nowhere close. I wasn't at the point where I said, God, I'm ready to go home. I want to go home. But if you think it's more important for me to stay, I'm willing to stay. I was glad I wasn't dead. I was glad I was alive and still breathing. And it's a good thing because God had a lot to work on me after that. But I was alive because for me and for many of us, to live 
meant being the first to graduate from high school, going into college, and at the time I wanted to be a detective. So being the best detective in the world, I wanted to go off and, you know, get engaged, get married, have a family, and have kids. That's what it meant for me to live. So I was happy I didn't die. So I was nowhere near him, near Paul. And you know, the funny thing is, it's kind of like that little story of the three friends who die and they go up to Peter in the pearly gates. And while Peter's showing them around heaven, he says, so what do you guys want for the people down there to tell you, like to say about you? And the first guy says, oh, that's easy. I want them to know that I was a great doctor and a good man. Peter was like, okay. Then the second guy says, oh, I want people to know, or I want them to say that I was a great teacher and that I influenced so many people in my life. That's what I want people to say about me. And then the third guy says, well, those are all great, I guess. But, you know, to be honest, the one thing I want people to say about me, oh, look, he's moving. I was hoping y'all got the joke because it got me like three times to actually understand the joke. (laughs) We want to move. We want people to see that we're still living, that we're breathing, that we're jumping, that we're turbos. That's what we want people to see in us. We're not there where Paul's at. A few years later, I got closer to kind of where Paul was at. It was actually last year. If you guys have noticed, maybe you've seen my car. It has a really nice, beautiful dent on the driver's side. And I got it from hitting a deer. You see, I'm not used to seeing deer flying across roads and having to look out for them, especially in an area where there's like a thousand hills everywhere. Back home, everything's flat. So I was driving through Seldalia. I was coming, up from, coming down from Overly. And I was going uphill. And, when, and I was going about 75 miles an hour. I'm a Texas driver. Come on, guys. And so I was going about 75 miles an hour, which the speed limit was 70, so I wasn't going that over. Um, and I was going uphill. When I got uphill, I learned what it meant, deer in headlights. Because when I got to the top of the hill, there the deer was, and it looked huge to me. I mean, it probably wasn't, but it looked huge. And so in a matter of milliseconds, in my mind, I knew there was a car kind of behind me on the left lane. And it was going pretty fast, so I figured that, you know, if I go over to the left side and swerve it, the car's probably going to hit me. It's not going to end well. If I keep going and I try to ram it, uh, (laughs) it's probably not going to end well because the deer's probably going to go through my window. I'm probably going to get impaled. Something's going to happen to me. So... The first thing, so the third thing that I thought about in these little seconds was like, all right, I'm going to the right, to the left, to the right. Yeah, I'm going to the right. So I, <laughs> I turn over to the right. I hit the deer on the side and I keep spinning and I have no idea where I'm going. I don't even know what's on the side of the ditch. I don't know how deep the ditch is. I don't know what I'm doing. And then, you know, the thing where if you get, to, if you swerve too much to the, to the side, it goes, so that freaked me out even more. So I was swerving, and I just, was just spinning around. And while I was gripping to the steering wheel, the thing that I thought of was, all right, God, meaning if this is my time, I'm ready. If you're calling me home, 
okay. The car stopped, I hit the brakes, and it stopped a few inches from this huge brick wall that was on the side of the road. I don't know what that wall was doing there, but <laughs> I don't know what I was doing there, right? But I was, and I was like, whew, and then, you know, I got off the car, I checked everything, but I still wasn't where Paul was at. I'm still not where Paul was at. I didn't say, I'm happy that I said, all right, God, like I'm coming home, I'm good, like, all right, this is the time that I'm ready. I didn't say, if I had the choice, God, I want to come home with you. I want to do that. But if you know that others need me here and that you're not done with me, then I guess I can stay. I wasn't where Paul was at. And many of us are still probably not where Paul's at. So how, did, how is it that Paul got to this point? How did he get to this point that he said to live is Christ and to die is even better? How is it that he get, got there? Well, first off, Paul had a clear picture of what death really meant to a Christian. He understood what death was. He knew what it meant. To him, death was simply a departure. Departure. Verse 23 says it that way. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Depart. The word depart in the Greek word, in the Greek language, since that's, you know, that's the original language of the New Testament. It also means it's used whenever it means it's referring to breaking up a camp. So I know many of us can, can understand what it is when you have to break up camp, pack up, and go home, right? You're so happy. You love camping. Camping is fun and everything. But after a few days, after a week or so, you understand and you love your bed that you get to sleep on. You love that no bugs are flying around you while you're trying to sleep. You love that you don't have to smell people because they're showers, so you enjoy getting to pack everything up and going home because you want to go home. You want to go back to where you belong. This word is also used whenever it refers to loosening, oh, when a ship, loosening lines that held a ship to the pier and letting the ship sail. Now, some of us are not used to sailing. For example, me. I'm referring to me mainly. <laughs> so... I wanted a different explanation. I wanted a different way of explaining this, of kind of actually having it in my head. And so this pastor, he explained it in a really nice way, and I really like the way he did it, so I'm going to use it. So I'm going to ask you guys to imagine. Use your imagination. Imagine you're overseas, anywhere you want to be, anywhere at all. You're overseas, but you're by yourself, so no one's with you. You're there, you've been there for two weeks, and after those two weeks, now you're heading to the airport to finally go home. But in those two weeks, you've been living out, a, you've been living out of a suitcase. Small little suitcase. Besides that, you've been going from hotel to hotel to hotel to hotel, where the rooms are super tight and cramped up, it's uncomfortable, the pillows don't feel right, and you don't trust who's been sleeping on the bed. It's just horrible. And then besides that, your AC if it's during the hot time, broke down. Or if it's during the winter, your heater broke down. And you want to talk to the night clerk, but language barrier, 
You can't talk to him because he doesn't know your language. And he can't talk to you because he doesn't know your... Wait, I just said that again. You can't talk to him because you don't know his language. And then other than that, the money is very, very different. So every time you spend money, you have to calculate how much you're spending and actually figure out how much you have left. And aside from that, you're super nervous and always on the edge about someone pickpocketing you, about someone stealing your identity or stealing your passport, or you yourself losing your passport, which is something I would be worried about, or losing your license or just being robbed. And you don't want to use the subway because you're not sure if you'll get lost. And finally, after those two weeks of being on your own, you get to the airport, and you're so happy you're at the airport, and you're like, okay, with all your luggage and stuff, the little suitcase you have, and you look up at the screen, and you start reading, okay, 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 going home, going home. Estimated time of departure, delayed. Oh, even worse, canceled. No, I wanted to go home, I want to go home. I want to depart from here. And go home. That is how Paul saw it. He wanted to depart from where he was at. He wanted to go home. And here's a question for you. If we truly understood how good that's going to be, who wouldn't want that? If we truly understood how good death's going to be, who wouldn't want that? It's a difficult question because life, life, we see life as being able to do things and we see death as something that stops us from doing things. But I think that first of all, that's what Paul saw. Absolutely, he saw this with 2020 vision, spiritual vision. He saw that death for a Christian meant going home. Going home. If he lives, it meant him serving Christ longer, serving this Christ he loves. If he died, it meant him going to be with the Christ that he loves. That is what death meant to him. And the second reason the question of how it is that he got to this point of to live as Christ and to die as gain. The reason he also got to that point is because Christ was everything to Paul. Christ was his life. Christ was going to be his eternity, is his eternity. And Christ is his passion, the passion that he lived for the God that he pursued day after day, moment after moment. That is who Christ was to him. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I close. Maybe you're not where Paul's at. You know, maybe a few of you might be where Paul's at. If you are, that's awesome. But maybe some of you are not where Paul's at. I know I'm not there yet. I know I still have a lot of work to do, and I'm working on it. But I have this this feeling that many of us aren't. It's nothing abnormal. It's normal. I mean, life, we've been living life for such a long time. Some of us who are 90 years old, a few of us who are about 27 days old, 
We've been living this life, but to have Christ to be everything in our lives, that is our goal. And that is how we get to this point, by having Christ to be the center of our lives, to be everything. And then we see death not as an end, but as a beginning of eternal life with him. So the altar is open for any who would like to just meditate, who would like to pray and just think about it. God, am I really putting you in everything? Am I really pursuing you? Am I ready or am I happy to die? Am I willing to stay and do what you have called me to do? Because when Christ is everything, whether you serve him or whether you see him, it's a win-win situation.